0: Welcome to another episode of the Universally Appealing and Another Thing podcast. My name is Jody Jenkins. And it's
1: Tony Clement from another location.
0: Yes, as we continue to practice safe physical distancing in the midst of this, uh, I guess it's still a global pandemic, certainly uh, around many countries, and hopefully, hopefully, Tony, you and I have been discussing this quite a bit, hopefully this COVID-19 situation disappears sooner than later. Tony, since the last time we spoke, before we get to our guest, has anything changed on your front? Uh, how are you dealing with things day to day?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been good. Uh, we've got 15 cases in Muskoka, uh, and uh, But uh, I guess we got through the Easter weekend. Uh, everybody was concerned about the cottagers coming up, and uh, they a bunch of them did do that. But uh, I don't think anybody's the worst for wear. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we've had a spite of cold weather and snow. So, of course, I got my snow tires off, and then it started snowing. Uh, and, but that's kind of depressed. Like, you know, you can still go for walks and things, but it's, it, it's not, it's not busy or I'm not, I'm not too worried about the physical distancing aspect of it. How, how about, uh, in your neck of the woods?
0: Yeah. Things seem to be trending downwards. We are in Hastings, Prince Edward. That would be our region that, uh, we are alluding to and seeing things are going well. I mean, we've literally had one or two cases in the last, uh, week now. Uh, cases of COVID, uh, confirmed cases, uh, like I said, going down, uh, presumptive cases going down, recoveries going up, which is a good thing. And, yeah, in fact, I was talking to someone I know who's in the OR at our hospital, and they're actually starting to bring the ORs back online because they had adjusted how they're doing things in the healthcare system because of the um, concern about a spike in patients, et cetera, and not wanting to be overwhelmed. So I think overall, good. I think urban centers are obviously feeling the brunt of everything, and hopefully uh, things seem to be trending in the right way. But maybe our guest can fill us in, and I'll let you... uh, let you introduce, cause we've got a, we've got an A, A class guest today. Class A guest, I guess is what you'd say.
1: Well, we're, we're doing well. I, I, I want to thank all of our listeners from last week who tuned in for, uh, Kelly Ogden of the Dolly Rots, uh, that, uh, pop, punk band. Uh, and uh, and uh, we're, we, that's what we do uh, on this podcast. We, j- we don't just have a single focus. We, we can multitask. So you had a pop punk band uh, uh, lead uh, front woman last week. And this week, we are very pleased to have on our program the Honorable Stephen Lecce, uh, the Member of Provincial Parliament for King Vaughan and Ontario's Minister of Education. Minister Lecce, thank you for being on our program today. Hey Tony and Jody, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the program. Uh, uh, we're uh, obviously keen followers of the Doug Ford government in Ontario, and you're one of the key ministers as Minister of Education. But first of all, uh, we 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 are asking our guests recently, you know, what what life is like. In this uh, covid pandemic emergency, so tell us uh, tell us what's going on in uh in King Vaughn and what's going on with yourself and your family how you're how you're coping with everything
2: yeah, no, I appreciate that i mean, look I think we're all in a similar place where we're facing the difficulty we're having to adjust and we're i think overwhelmingly rising to the challenge and there's no doubt that this puts an additional pressure point on families i could I'm thinking about my brother and his wife with two young kids at home, and they're taking on a lot of responsibilities while largely working from home. So, you know, for me, it's been uh, grounded in staying home and working very hard. I'm doing a lot of FaceTime with uh, with my nieces, and I'm visiting uh, my dad from the driveway to wave at him just so that he can see me once every uh, once a week. But look, it's it's tough on everyone, but I think what's I think keeping me going is just the resilient spirit in my community. I mean, just, in the third 22nd story, my grandmother turned 96, my mom's mom, she's in a long-term care in, uh, in Vaughan. And, you know, we couldn't see her, of course, they're on lockdown. So right. one of the uh, support workers facetimes all of her grandchildren. And of course their great grandchildren. Um, and it just was really nice, uh, really small, but special, uh, you know, examples of people doing their best and uh, showing a level of compassion through this. So, so Been as good as it can be, and I know that we'll get through this.
1: You must have a lot of examples of Ontarians who've really stepped up. And uh, uh, obviously, we've got our frontline health workers and first responders, but uh, other people just volunteering and making sure that people aren't uh, isolated and alone, eh?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, you know, right now, uh, one of the requirements for students. You know, so you have to have 40 hours of volunteer hours to graduate. Now, of course, we're making, we're trying to get students through the system, support them, and make sure every student graduates. But I said, look, we're going to remove that requirement because, of course, you know, for 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 health reasons, that's not probable, possible. But I said, look, there's a ton of opportunities in your community that young people could volunteer to check in with seniors, to reduce social isolation, partner with the seniors club, and we've actually seen a lot of a lot of these youth even though they don't require the 40 hours for those in grade 12, many of them have stepped up to do these types of things. So it's, it's honestly amazing. I've got a school in my community uh, over there on doing 24 seven. They're printing uh, those, uh, uh, those masks. Oh
1: yeah. I read about that. That's front amazing. Line. Yeah.
2: Yeah. frontline for, front for a frontline ho- for a uh, for, for doctors and nurses in our, in our local hospital, they've been doing using a 3d printer. So look, it's, it's, Ordinary people doing truly extraordinary things, and it's amazing. And I think it shows in the darkness that there's light, that there's really special moments for the country where everyday people, young and old, and rule, where we're doing whatever we can to overcome the challenge. And I think that speaks really to a value system of this country of having a resilient spirit. And, you know, we've been through this. You've been through this uh, in SARS and so many other challenges. And the uh, the enduring chap- final chapter is that we emerge stronger than before.
1: Hey, I got to ask you, because uh, you you referenced uh, the fact that I was Ontario's health minister during SARS back in 2003, and I would love to get, uh, you know, uh, a sense from you, behind the scenes, you've been involved in the cabinet and the briefings and then the major decisions in Ontario over COVID-19. And I, I'm going to editorialize for a second. I'm allowed to do it because it's Jody's of my podcast and say Doug Ford is doing a hell of a job for Ontario and for Canada. And uh, I'm glad to see that other people are recognizing that as well. But take us behind the scenes to give us some anecdotes, some stories about what it's like being in the pressure cooker of having this, this tsunami of COVID come our way and, and making the decisions that you had to make.
2: I think largely it's about you know distilling a massive amount of information and data points domestically, globally, uh, looking at jurisdictions that's doing its right, and so a lot of it is about synthesizing information and making decisions quickly. That's required in these crisis moments, um, and I find that you know the premier has demonstrated an incredible level of calm and focus. Uh, and for him, the disposition is do whatever the heck it takes to get us through this, both from a health and from the pandemic side, but even from an economic recovery side. And it's a different type of rece- a different type of challenge than, say, the 08-9 recession was. Um, and, you know, individuals really need support. And so I just – the fact that, you know, every single day there's a constant on the news uh, and at the cabinet table leading, I think, instills a lot of confidence in people. And I'll just say privately – at the table, you know, his command of the facts, his involvement uh, in such central issues from, you know, uh, protective equipment procurement um, to long-term care support, I mean these are sometimes you, you, you suggest they're a bit granular, but he's just so committed to getting this right and very hands-on. And I think we're all just very proud to serve. I mean, and to be fair, I think also the Team Canada approach he's taken, Tony, it's a yeah you know, putting party aside. I mean, we're in a global pandemic for quite a lot. And if we can't collaborate now, when will we? We're facing an invisible enemy countrywide globally. And I think, look, even the partnership, the municipal level, federal level, at the end of the day, it's about lives. And I think, honestly, it's it's a, a leadership style that I think reflects well. And I think he's just been You know, he's been keeping us all accountable. Um, He's the first one up and last one out. I mean, I I got, I I just last week, you know, I got a call at midnight, a private number. You know, it's either my father or it's Doug Ford. Mm -hmm. So I take both those calls, Tony. So I took it. I'm like, Doug, what the heck's going on, man? Like, you're, and of course, you know, he right, we went right into it and, you know, no problems with me. I'm up. But just to demonstrate to you that he's, I think this is weighing heavily on him. And I know he's just deeply concerned and also resolved to,
1: to fix it. Yeah, I would put it this way. I think he's demonstrating three aspects of leadership. He's demonstrating work ethic. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned that, obviously. He's demonstrating a team experience, not only uh, in his own cabinet and in the Ontario legislature, but with the, the federal government and with other premiers. And I think the third thing he's demonstrating is empathy. Uh, people yeah. can sense that it's weighing on him. That you know, if there's a failure, there's you know, he was he was frustrated with the testing numbers. He's been frustrated with the breakouts in the long-term care facilities. He's feeling it too, and I think that's so critical for authentic leadership. That he's not reading from a teleprompter when he's when he's emoting. That it's coming from his heart and his soul. Is that what you're sensing too?
2: Yeah, I I, I mean honestly, it's. It's, I find it very personal for all of us because we're all connected. I mean, my grandmother's in a long-term care home. You know, we all have family and friends implicated by this kid's home. Uh, you know, we know people who have COVID, we, you know, some of us know people who re- very sadly would have, you know, would have passed from COVID. So it's just, it's a very real challenge. And I think what he's bringing to the table is you know, when I reference compassion, I think that's really the same principle, that emotive connection to people. I think he's, He's he's speaking from the heart, and I think that's you know in political leadership. I, I think that could be helpful. I think it's I think it's well, that almost necessary in these moments to demonstrate that you know there's a human per, there's a per, there's like there's a beating heart behind the decisions we make in government, and you know, we want we want people to know that every decision we're making is about the, not just the safety of of themselves, but you know of their broader family and our, and all of our communities. So I think that's it's been it's been positive. But I also think. It's instilling confidence in our institutions when people see their governments, you know, demonstrating those
1: three principles each and every day, and that's important in a crisis. Well, I think you need to, you're asking people to do extraordinary things, and you've got to have credibility in asking, and that's, that's the key component of this that uh, the government of Ontario has right now. Could you tell us a little bit from the education ministry perspective? I know you've been a big promoter of e-learning and, of course, uh, there was a, the dust-up with the uh, teachers' unions on that very point uh, earlier on in the year. Now, of course, we're relying on e-learning. That's part of the solution in the lockdown. T- talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I think, um, I, I, I love hearing the kids in the background. Cause <laughs> no, no, those are Jody's kids. I want to make this, that
1: clear. <laughs>
2: well, Jody, I feel you, man. This is life. This is life. This is We're all doing this. So, uh, but I think it's what it shows is that in Ontario, we took a very ambitious approach to learning. I mean, respectfully, some provinces in our federation have literally sent kids home with coursework and sort of said, "Listen, all the best. We'll see you in September." We have the ingenuity, the capacity, and the plan to keep kids learning. Now, yes, I'm an advocate of online learning, not necessarily in any way to replace in-class instruction. I've always believed it needs to augment it, and really. Not just as a backstop for these types of challenges, pandemics, natural disaster, you know, national security challenges, whatever happens in a, in the modern world, to make sure education is seamless. But I just I really do believe that that technological fluency is critical in the job market. So I made that case. I think parents, uh, broadly speaking, you know, accept the premise that that skill set and that form of learning can help complement their children and give them the skills to keep learning. Through life, and more importantly, get a good job in the in, in modern economy. Look, we're we're now at a point where there isn't many alternatives beyond doing very little, and I just don't accept that premise. We're our our principle is students got to keep learning through this process. They completed three fourths of the school year in class, so let's get them to the finish line with a credible, bona fide program that has teacher led instruction. Where educators are repatriating the responsibility to the that possible. I mean, I'm not being you know, Jody, I, I, hear you, I hear the kids, they're like, I know parents are going to have to play a role in this, and they are, and they're doing amazing things in supporting their their children, but I'm just trying to put the responsibility back on the educator, and I'm trying to emphasize that that uh, teacher-led experience through the curriculum uh, will give confidence, I think, as they go to the next year. And I also think an emphasis in our program is on STEM education. We're trying to really emphasize over the next few months is science, technology, engineering, and math, as well as literacy. Those are the core competencies where you, we're really focusing on for the latter component of the year. And so far, I'm hearing great things. I mean, it's not a, an equal experience; it's it's board by board. But parents, I think, appreciate that their educator is involved in their child's life. And virtual learning, you know, very much is uh, uh, can be complementary and can be highly effective for these kids. It's dynamic. They get to see their, their teacher. They get to see their other fellow classmates. And for a lot of these kids, that's really all they want. Right? They want to keep learning, but they also want that camaraderie, that, um, that socializing elements that's important for children. So, you know, look, we're going to continue building it up, Tony, but I'll, I'll be quite frank with you. I think there's no alternative. We have to do better, and we've got to make sure it keeps learning, and that's the commitment of the government.
1: Uh, I got to give a uh, seed the floor to Jody uh, for a second because, uh, you know, he's the one with uh, younger children. My, my kids are all young adults now, although I've got one. My youngest uh, daughter is uh, doing her law school exams uh, as we speak uh, on another floor in our house right now. But, uh, Jody, what, what what do you say as a, as a parent of young children to the Minister of Education here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, three young kids at home. Uh, one that will be going into senior kindergarten. Wow. He's already started some uh, readiness programs for that, and we have a a six-year-old who's in grade one. Um, but it's it's busy around the house, obviously. But I, I would say this, that our teachers that we're dealing with are embracing this online capacity or this component and uh, using it to its full capacity. And I, I, get, I appreciate that. And I, I know that not all families are getting that same experience, and obviously there's going to be some that... Uh, won't embrace it like other boards or teachers but we've been we've been absolutely blessed with the um work that our our teachers and our, and our kids life have been doing and i and look i get it not all kids can learn um this way or a certain way all kids are different we get it um but i i'm a, a big proponent of what i'm seeing and I, i'd like to see more of it integrated as we move back to uh, uh whatever regular school looks like so
2: right how, how old are your kids again? You said six, kids. You said they're Six young.
0: six, almost four and uh, one. So,
2: okay, so they're in the kindergarten to grade three. Uh, yep. Yep. So what we so what we did, which I thought was really helpful, is we said to parents, "Look, let's create some standards here. What could you expect? So for a child from kindergarten to grade three, we said students will complete five hours of work each week focused on literacy and math. And I'm not going to go through all of the, the, the groupings unless you want me to. But you know, from four to six, there's another. Different emphasis, 7 to 8, there's more. And then, of course, grade 9 to 12 has a higher amount of work per course. The point is we're trying to say to parents, you're going to know how many hours your child will be learning at least. You're going to know the themes, the focuses, the topics. And we're going to make sure the teacher is involved with the child's life. And, you know, I'm really excited that the premier and I uh, today, you know, announced a program where we're we're, we're working with uh, Rogers Communications and Apple. Uh, where over 20,000 uh, iPads loaded with internet and all education software are in real time as we speak. Either they have or are landing in people's homes to help bridge the gap for those who don't have that technology. Wow.
0: That's, Do you uh, need a my address? Stephen, I'll send you my okay, address no, right now. No, I'll text it to you.
2: I <laughs> may get Tony to verify that before <laughs> I send you one, Jody. But look, the, the point is it's a great partnership and it's a public private synergy where we're working together. We're providing free internet for these families for the rest of this year nice. through the company. And it look, it, and it's, it's, it, it, and it didn't cast a uh, cost of tax for anything for that. It was, we, we were able to negotiate that boards are taking advantage of that, but it just speaks to you about how, you know, difficult difficulty can be overcome if we work together. These are, not impossible solutions. Well, and so anytime I hear a criticism, well, how about yeah. you know broadband and equity? I hear it; it's a real issue, and we're solving it. Good. You know, what about special education? These kids need support. Sure. So I said to the EAs, the you know those supports around the, 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 those kids with exceptionalities, they usually have an EA, an education system, or I said to every board, unlock those supports, even if it means virtual support. It isn't the same. Let's be honest. Some you know you know some of these children will need. One or sometimes two supports with them physically all the time, but I said let's unlock every psychologist, every psychotherapist, every social worker. If we're paying them, I expect the return on investment. I want them on the phones with the families, with parents, providing best practices, videoing with the kids, doing whatever they can. And, and you know, to be fair to these folks, they want to help. So the point is, we can solve the challenges. Let's just do it together, and and let's embrace a spirit of can do. Because what is the alternative? We're not going to sit in idle for two or three months if this goes on. And I think parents appreciate that sense of commitment to get it done.
1: Absolutely. Speaking with uh, Stephen Lecce, uh, Ontario's Minister of Education. Uh, Stephen, thanks for being on the program. I got a, I got a couple more questions. Maybe Jody's got some too. But my, my first question is, what does normal look like it, post-COVID, in the education system, I, I've been uh, using the term "the new not so normal" when we get out of this. And of course, I'm great. I'm grateful for, for Premier Ford and your team to be looking ahead to uh, getting out of complete lockdown, or as, as complete as we have, to you know, getting our businesses going again and getting our education system going again. So tell us tell us what it looks like in the post COVID world in the education system.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's these all have to be all these decision points of when do we get students back, when do we reopen child care? Uh, when do we start to gradually phase in more uh, sectors of the economy? These are all things that Need a macro lens, right? We can't be doing, you know, and you've said this to me before, Tony, uh, you know, providing perspective to me. Like, we can't allow isolation or salalization of government, which is normally what happens. So, we've got to look more macro. So, we're doing that. And the Minister of Finance in Ontario, Rod Phillips, is, Phillips is leading the economic recovery and job creation task force that's really focused on how does that post COVID world look economically? And there's a subcomponent about sort of the, the government's service delivery. So, you know, right now, the guidance for us is principally how and at what point can we start to, you know, uh, have students, for example, back in schools, right? We took the decision, the first in the nation to close schools, uh, as, as you folks will know, and one of the first in the industrialized world. And that was done because the medical advice said, look, we've got to mitigate community spread. And within about 70 minutes of that call I had it with Dr. Williams, the chief medical officer of Ontario, I was before a podium, Making that clear on the Thursday before March break, I wanted parents to know before they left. Here's where we're at. Here's the honest data. It's not good. The community spread is a problem. Let's uh, be proactive. So we are going to uh, communicate shortly our plan to, re- to you know, to look at potential uh, return to school. But it's always going to be predicated on health and safety. And if the medical officer says it isn't possible. And it's not going to happen. We'll continue building up the online side. But, folks, look, I sort of believe, and I've said this before, if there is a way, so long as it is safe, to save part of the school year, maybe towards the end, for in-class instruction, I think we should. I really think, you know, in a couple weeks, getting the kids back. You know, uh, look, Jody, uh, if it is safe, I cannot make this more clear. If it is even a a minutia of challenge, then we're going to continue what we're doing. It's working. It's, It's imperfect, but we're building it up. If there's a way to do it, we should. These kids should be together, you know, have a graduation, have some collegiality, but more importantly, learn and finish the year. Because I'm concerned. This was a tough year on these kids. Plus they've got COVID. Like, you know, I just think we need to be iterative in our approach. Some problems have been absolute. Some problems like Quebec have gone to me like us. It's not linear. And at the end of the day, it's not about what other people are doing. It's what's right for our kids. So we'll continue to take... That approach, and we'll be announcing next. I think parents just want some certainty.
1: I've got one more question. Uh, what about you, Jody? Do you have uh, another question?
0: Yeah, you tell you ask yours, and then we'll have finished with one more. As we want to respect the minister's time.
1: Yes, we do. We do want to do that. So my question is uh, related to the fact, and i I've, uh, you know, when you're um, a past politician. You live on through the, the people that you've interacted with uh, who are still in politics. So, uh, uh, people may not know this, but Stephen Lecce's one of his first political experiences w- was working on my 2002 leadership campaign for premier of the province. So, what ideas did you learn? Uh, well, what do, What did you learn from my leadership campaign, Stephen Lecce?
2: Well, <laughs> I learned that ideas win. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think <laughs> that's that right. The The slogan. But, you know, look, I think, I mean, at that point, uh, you know, at, at, at that point, you mean, know, you were a generational conservative running uh, in the movement uh, and a movement conservative. And, you know, I just think it was inspiring. Like back, you know, we, we sort of, we, we almost could joke about it now. What, what was that, 2002?
1: 2002. That's right. March 2002.
2: It almost is comical. Like, here I am. I'm 33. Like, I'm not old man Rivers. But here I am, like, reflecting back, like, nostalgia, like, oh, the good old days, and I remember seeing young people, really for the first time in my lifetime, I mean, my relatively youngish life, where younger people were, were emerging in the party. And I think that really, you know, in, incented and inspired and encouraged others to do the same. And look,
1: I, I was... Well, you've done that, you know, you've got your hashtag next gen. So that, right? that's been part of what you have brought to the modern uh, political system, hasn't it been?
2: Yeah, and I just think we should be like as younger conservatives. We, you know, we are really the vehicle for, you know, home ownership, for good jobs, for safety, you know, for um, for the for the issues that I really think the on the ground issues that people care about. You know, keeping you know being able to afford a home and, and pay and be able to retire with dignity, get a decent job, related to your skill set. These are issues that I think are our issues as 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 conservatives, and we have to repatriate those principles as things that we care about, because we're the only political vehicle, I think, in the country that really can deliver meaningful results on it. Now, in a COVID reality, I'm not really focused on it too much. I'll just say, as a young generation or, or as a generational conservative, I'm proud to be part of a political government, a political movement that is, especially under Premier Ford, I will say, very much committed to improving the lives of everyday working people in the province. And I think you know we saw what happened in the United Kingdom. I know you've got great linkages over there, Tony, and absolutely, really how they pivoted as a movement to be the party of the working class, the party of you know the NHS, of their health system, like just an incredible free market uh, liberal, uh, you know, from a from a from a trading perspective, liberalized trade, pro trade, pro um, you know uh, investment party, where they've really I think become modern and more importantly. Uh, expanded their political reach. So there's a lot of lessons and a lot of opportunities in Canada. But I think for me, it's just about reminding other young people that you can do it. You really can. My parents were, were literally poor immigrants from Italy, southern Italy. They came here young, didn't speak the language, the lick the language, didn't have money. You know, 20, 15 people in a home type thing. And you could use your imagination. Like every story of immigrants coming through this country at our shores at Pier 21 in Ellis Island. And, you know, they were able to produce children that, we're patriotic, love the country, worked hard and embrace the immigrant values and Canadian values. Um, and so I think it's a good story. And we're the party with the most women our in our movements. We don't believe in quota, but I'm just saying we have the most women in our party. We have, you know, uh, the, we have te- we have over 10 millennials within our caucus, the most women elected, were the first Muslim elected in our caucus. You know, we just have a story that I think people need to hear that we represent their values and their aspirations and their anxieties. And we're going to do, you know, the very best we can in the service of the people. And I think we can get more people involved and young people inspired. And, you know, that's a healthy thing for our democracy. And I think it'd be great for our movement.
0: The Honorable
1: well, Stephen. i got to say, oh, sorry, I gotta go say yeah, go I'm very proud of the, this man. Uh, here, I, I took a He took a tongue-in-cheek question for me, and he, he became very earnest. I'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed. What He's learned think, well.
0: He's been taught by one of the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the Honorable Stephen Lecce has been our guest. Before we let you go, Stephen we do get emails and if our listeners want to email us questions and another thing podcast or sorry and another thing podcast at gmail.com uh, we did get an email question from I believe he's a colleague of yours from Northumberland Peterborough South MPP David Piccini I don't know if you're aware of him but uh, he sent a question oh, yeah. wants to know let me read it here do you recall the first time you spoke moistly <laughs>
2: uh, tell Mr. Piccini that that's uh yeah, maybe too soon for Moisley Jones, but <laughs> folks, God bless David Pacini. This guy's amazing, uh, and a fellow paisan, I will say. So I have my own self-interest here, but um, look, I just think um, you know that's another guy who is uh, making a big difference, and you know we're both uh, we're both of a similar age and vintage, but uh, you know what. I know we, we laugh at these things, but you know, I guess what I'd hope for folks listening is, you know, we sort of get this impression. What could one person do? What could one, one guy, one lady, one one woman do one child, but in this world, like literally one person can make a difference, both, both, both very positively and negatively in the context of of spreading. So yeah I guess what I'd say to your whole oh, humor is, uh, you know, just for everyone to, you know, a levity is a healthy thing, but to do their part, right? This is uh, absolutely. Yeah. This is so important for for families. Well, to I've, I've been, medical advice.
0: Yes, and I've been I've been isolated for thirty five days today. And how are you doing? Well, once May twelfth comes, all bets are off. I'm not kidding. I haven't been to a store. <laughs> He's gonna go on a bender. I haven't bender. been to a store. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. I haven't been <laughs> anywhere. So
1: exactly. Well, it's great to have you on our program, uh, Stephen. Uh, keep doing a the great, a great job you're doing, and tell your colleagues uh, that you're, you've got our full support.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank Thanks you. so I much. I appreciate
2: it. Thanks, Jody. Thank you, Tony. Be well, be safe, and to everyone listening, uh, please do your part, and we'll get out of this. I know we right won't. On.
0: Once again, I mean, I, I'm giving you so much credit these days, but you are really... Ra- Every time I think that you've raised the bar for guests, you just oh, go in one, you just going one-up it. And- so that was, that was great. Stephen was great. No,
1: it was good. To, you know, and this is a busy guy. He's got meetings, uh, uh, dawn to dusk and, uh, he's got, uh, to, as of the time of this recording, uh, he had an announcement later on that he was going to do in the afternoon. So for him to take the time to do this show. I think that's fantastic, and it's a it's a great uh, testament to our listenership that uh, people want to do this show. So, thank you, Stephen Leche, and thank you to our listeners.
0: Yeah, and he's a class act, and I will say this: he's very, very smooth when it comes to answering. Oh, yeah. I think we could have we could have went at him harder, but I, I think he did such a good job. We were going to do that, and he had a little bit of fun. But uh, you know, there's one guy that, however long his political career may be. Uh, I think it'll be long. Uh, I'm looking forward yeah. to the stories of when he's done his political career because I think he'll have some good ones, and he can probably share a little bit more than he can these days.
1: Well, I think we should uh, look at uh, the people. I'm not saying something that people don't know, but uh, when there's an opening in the in the head office, there, I think he'll be running for premier one of these days. So Ooh. we'll see what happens.
0: Oh, that's a big one. There's a there's a Twitter teaser right there. There we go. Yeah, do it. So, anyway, I want to I want to just share one quick story a little rant, and you can rant if you want to, but I'm getting really sick of the way the media are twisting this whole pandemic. And I'm going to give you an example, Tony, and you can weigh in. The other day, I saw a headline on CTV News, and it said, youngest COVID ICU patient shares his story, 19-year-old whatever. And of course, I'm, I'm one of those guys, sometimes I get a little, you know, oh, geez, what's this all about? Because we're being told it affects older people mostly, and I get it. Other It, it can get... Other younger people can get it, but I read the article, and anyway, you read the whole article, and it's uh, the, the young kid was like, my tonsils were you know blown up, I had it uh, was run down, I was coughing up blood. Well, it turns out he had mono in addition to COVID nineteen. So my point being was that article was completely uh, done up to get clicks to get attention because if you put in the headline, uh, young man with. Mono picks up COVID, you know, not as interesting. But when you put in youngest ICU patient with COVID, you're going to get some clicks. So I'm just sick and tired of the way the media is putting stuff out there. But I also get it. I'm in the media, uh you know. Well, you
1: know time. the you know the uh, saying: if it bleeds, it leaves <laughs> I right?
0: Know. Anyway, I just I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I'm I'm just the yeah, more no, this goes I on, I get tired it of too. it.
1: I get tired. I noticed it too, and uh you know, it's. uh uh, you know, i gotta I gotta uh, tip my hat. I mean, I know for it's really tough for for. Uh, reporters and and media types right now as well, and uh, they're uh, they're on <laughs> sleepless nights, and uh, they're trying to worry about their families while still doing their job, like other sectors on, in our economy as well. So I cut them a little bit of slack, but uh, good for you for calling them out on that one. That 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 didn't need to be reported that way.
0: Well, I saw. I mean, even so, I, I think they've adjusted it. But like, let's I'll use another example. Outbreaks are deemed are, are considered when two people minimum. Uh, have COVID in a setting. So a long-term care outbreak, a hospital outbreak. And in fact, I think they change that to one person can be deemed an outbreak. But I remember a local headline that said, outbreak of COVID at our hospital. And what's the first thing that people think of? It must be overrun. There must be t- yeah. tons of cases. Well, no, there's either two cases or one, whatever. So I get it because in the media world, the more eyes you have on your story, the more you can tell your advertisers, the more revenue you generate. I get it, but at the same time, I'm just these misleading headlines aren't helping anyone. I I just it's getting frustrating, but. I still believe it's going to be over sooner than later, but but then again, a month ago, I said that this wouldn't be a big thing. So Yeah, what do exactly. we see?
1: a month ago, you were ready to go out for <laughs> St. Patrick's Day.
0: So, so anyway, anyway, so we'll uh, we'll keep working away. Thanks, Tony, for all your efforts, and uh, we're getting lots of great people subscribing and listening to the program, lots of great feedback. You can do it on all the major platforms. We don't even have to tell you where to go now because you can just go it's anywhere at get it. So it's uh, exactly. that's a good thing, so... Anyway, wish you all the best, and we'll talk to you in seven days. Stay safe, everybody.